Well, again, good evening, guys. As I uh, said in the video, last week we started a new series called Get It, and we said last week that this series is like really foundational to who we are as part of Grace Church, like knowing it, living it, and giving it away, which is what we're going to talk about the next few weeks. Getting it, it being the gospel, is really a huge part of our DNA of who we are. And we said last week we kind of started off talking about our purpose statement. I want to throw it up on the screen again tonight because that's really important for us to understand like who we are as a church and what we see our purpose. Purpose as as a church. So this is what it is. The vision of Grace Church is to ignite a gospel-centered movement by knowing it, living it, and giving it away. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we see our purpose as to create a movement of people who know it, know the gospel, live it out in our lives, and are giving it away to other people. And so last week we we spent the whole time basically just talking about what is the gospel, like what is it? Can we do we know it ourselves and can can we explain it to other people? And what I gave you last week was was kind of the way that I do it. This is just my way of explaining the gospel that makes sense to me that uh, I think gives um, maybe a fuller view of the gospel than maybe sometimes what we're what we're used to. And so I want to just quickly I won't I won't do the whole thing. I won't give, won't give you last week's sermon this week again too. But I want to quickly in just a couple minutes share with you what we talked about last week as we set the stage tonight for knowing it. And I would encourage you if you we're not here last week, check it out online. Spend the time, check it out. Um, I think it's a helpful way for us to understand what the gospel is. So this is what we said last week. We said, so when I think of the gospel, I think of things that I do and things that God does. I think about me and I think about God. And the first thing that we learn, we're going to throw it up on screen. The first thing that we learn about God is that God creates, right? You open the Bible to page one, you read that God created. In the beginning, God created, right? He created the heavens and the earth and he created us. And when you get to the end of chapter 1, it says that what he created was very good. Not just good, but was very good. God is a creator God who creates good things. That's the first thing. We, the very first thing you read about us of significance that we do in the Bible is like the opposite. God creates it really good. We destroy it really bad. And so we rebel. That was kind of our second word that we talked about last week. We rebel against him. And the one rule that God gives us, we break. And so at it started with Adam and Eve thousands of years ago, and it's continued every day in every one of our lives. One of the things it says in Romans chapter 3 is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Like every single one of us, we know that. Every day we sin, we mess up. God has complete justification to say, that's it, I'm done with you. I'm going to let you rot in your rebellion, right? I'm done, but he doesn't do that. He loves us too much, and so he sends God the Son, Jesus, to become one of us and ultimately to die for us to take the punishment that we deserve. And we said, that's God's grace. And we, and we use this metaphor. We said, God's grace is like us being in a, uh, a quicksand, right? A pit of quicksand. When we rebel against him, we're in quicksand, and grace is God reaching down to us saying, grab hold, I will rescue you. That's what grace is. And our part, so that's what God does. Instead of letting us rot in our rebellion, he reaches down and offers us grace. Our part is we got to grab hold back, right? God reaches down and says, I will rescue you if you allow me. Our job is to reach back up and say, I trust you. That's our fourth, our fourth word, is to trust him, right? And so trust, we talked about faith. Like, what does it look like for me to trust God? It's significant. I trust that you will rescue me, that you, you are who you say you are. And then when we do that, God 
does this amazing thing with us. He promises to change us. He promises to transform us. He gives us his spirit living inside of us to change us from the inside out. It's absolutely amazing. This metamorphosis, right? Going from a caterpillar to a moth. That's what God does inside of us. He does the work as we love him and as we trust him, right? But we have responsibility too. That's our sixth word. Our responsibility is to conform. So in here, God tells us what's important to him. He tells us things that he loves and he tells us things that he hates, right? He says, follow my ways. And we said, in our culture, conformity is like a bad word, right? Like, I am not going to be who you want me to be. No way. I'm going to be who I am, right? Listen, as followers of Jesus, we got to kind of just get over that, right? Like, he shows us the way to live that's the best way for us. Not to confine us, but really to liberate us. But we have to make choices. So he promises to change us from the inside out. We have to make choices every day, every moment by moment, every day of our lives to live according to his ways, right? And then the last part of it is this future part. So we live in a world that's got all kinds of rottenness that, you know, we rebelled, we introduced destruction and death into the world, but God makes a promise to us that one day he's going to restore it. It actually says in uh, the end of Revelation that he's making everything new. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. It'll all be gone. And our part, so it's an incredible promise, and our part is to hope for that. That's, that's what we do. So in the midst of a busy, crazy life that could be really frustrating, our job is to hope and to look forward to the life to come and to live this life that we experience right here and right now in light of what will one day be here. Make sense? That's the gospel. That's, that's the fullness of the gospel, right? And so we, I challenged you last week at the end of our time. I said, do you get it? You know, God leaves us with a mission, right? God leaves us with a, a privilege and a responsibility to pass it along to other people, to give the gospel away, to help others get it. But we can't help others get it until we get it, until we got it ourselves. And so my challenge to you last week, and again, I challenge you tonight, do you get it? Do you get the gospel? Do you understand it? And as Jesus reaches down to you and says, trust me, are you reaching back up to him and saying, I trust you? Right? And as we do that, are we able to communicate that in a clear and concise and honest way to other people? That's what we talked about last week. Getting it. It being the gospel. This week we're going to talk about knowing it. Knowing the gospel. So this is what I mean by knowing it. Knowing the gospel and knowing the God of the gospel. Right? Knowing the gospel and knowing the God of the gospel. So this past week we had uh, an interesting discussion in our grace. We're going to talk about group connect and trying to get people in groups and uh, I love our grace group so one of the leaders this past week we were talking about get it we were talking about the sermon and the gospel and stuff and one of our leaders Lisa said something that I thought was really insightful she's a teacher and so she's talking about like us understanding it us knowing it and she said that so many times in school when we learn something we, we learn it you know whether it be information or, or facts or like a method of completing a problem we learn it and then we got it you know, we're done with it. And we move on to the next thing. And then one day you would take a test on it and you got to kind of recollect that information or that fact or that method of completing the problem. You recall it, that thing that was once learned, and you write it down and then you move on to the next question. And when you know it, you feel pretty good, right? Like, I got it. I'm good. I'm done. I answered that question correctly. I had a, I had a teacher in high school. So funny. You know, tests can make people 
anxious, right? Make people nervous and stuff. I had a teacher, he said, listen, when you study for a test, a test is just a pleasant recollection of things once learned. I've never heard a test described that way, but I love that. A pleasant recollection. Anyway, so... Christianity is different, right? Knowing it in Christianity, knowing it in a Christianly sense, is not like, well, I understand. I got it. I know this information. I know this fact. Now I'm going to move on to the next thing. Christianity is different. What we're going to talk about tonight as we talk about knowing it is different. In school, you learn something many times for knowledge and understanding, right? Like there's, here's some information. You need to know it. You need to understand it. There's nothing wrong with that. But in our faith, we go much, much deeper. We still learn. We still have to learn for knowledge, right? We still have to learn for understanding. But we also learn for lifestyle and relationship, okay? This is kind of the first point that kind of sets the stage for our message tonight. I said it this way. Knowing it goes beyond learning for knowledge and understanding to learning for lifestyle and relationship, Knowing it goes beyond learning for knowledge and understanding. It goes far beyond that to learning for lifestyle and relationship. I want to know what the Bible says and I want to understand it. That's really important. But that doesn't make me a Christian. Knowing the Bible and understanding the Bible isn't what makes us a Christian. Anybody can do that. In fact, there's people trying to persuade other people against Christianity that can do that. Know the Bible and understand it. But what we do is a way bigger deal because when we learn and we gain knowledge and understanding of what the Bible says, we believe it, right? And if I believe it, then it makes a difference. It impacts my life. It impacts my lifestyle. And even more than that, if I actually believe all of this stuff is true, it means that there's a God in heaven who loves me and he wants to have a relationship with me where I can talk to him and I can listen to him and I can get to know his heart and I can get to know his ways. And that relationship, more than anything else, affects my lifestyle, right? As I get to know the heart of God, it affects the way in which I live. So tonight, let me just set the stage this way. Tonight, as we're talking about knowing it, what it means for us to know the gospel and the God of the gospel, don't just think about learning some information. Don't just think about learning some facts and then moving on. Like, I got it, you know, like, like it's done. Think about learning to affect your lifestyle and think about learning to deepen your relationship. That's the kind of know it that we're going to talk about tonight. Make sense? We're going to come back to that here at the end. So um, here's what I'm going to do. Grab your Bible if you got one. Flip it open to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. So it's in the second half of your Bible, the New Testament of your Bible, about halfway through the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, John would be happy to, to give you one back there. I think it helps to, ha- to have it like on your lap where you're actually looking at it. Uh, so this is just one passage of many that stresses knowing it, that stresses knowing the gospel and the God of the gospel. I absolutely love the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, it's a powerful book. It's a very symmetrical book. It's six chapters. It's an even number, which I like that. The first three chapters are about doctrine. They're really about beliefs, theology, orthodoxy. This is what you're to believe. That's the first three chapters. The second three chapters are really about our lives, like our behaviors, our actions, our, our the application of all this orthopraxy this is right understand this is right theology this is what you're supposed to believe this is how you're supposed to live it out and it's an interesting thing I love how Paul organizes that because this is true in our lives what we believe affects how we behave right like what I believe about something 
determines how I act, how I live. That's a good reminder. You know, if you look at your life and you go, I don't like the way that I'm living. I don't like the things that I'm doing. I can promise you that you should go back to your beliefs and say, well, what do I believe? What do I believe? If I'm living the wrong way, maybe I'm not believing the right thing, right? That's kind of what Paul talks about. So we're, we're going to be in chapter 1. So this is a guy named Paul, an apostle of Jesus, who's writing this book, this letter, to the Christians in an important city back then called Ephesus. And so Paul was the one who originally brought the gospel to them. He's the one who brought it to them. And now, years later, he's in prison. This is one of his prison letters. He's in prison, and he's writing them this letter. And so he's thinking about them, right? He's got a lot of time on his hands. And so he's thinking about them, and he's praying for them, and he writes to them about some things that are really important about who they are, who they are, their identity. We talked a little bit about identity last week, right? Like who you are. He talked to them about things that they believe, their beliefs, and how they should live, their behaviors. That's kind of what Paul tackles in this book. So how he starts out the letter, this is fascinating. In verses 3 through 14, he tells them, he reminds them about these spiritual blessings, these blessings from God that they receive as followers of Jesus. And I'd encourage you, like I'm going to fly through these, I could get through these really quickly, but I'd really encourage you, I did a study one time just on these first, what, 12 verses of Ephesians and looking at these spiritual blessings in detail. It's incredible. Like it is incredible when you think about it, the implications for our lives today. I want to, I'll tell you about them real quick. So he starts out, he talks about how they're chosen and predestined from God. He talks about that in verses 4 through 6 and then toward the end, 11 through 13. You are chosen and predestined from God. Like, think about the security that comes with that. I choose you. I choose you, right? One of my favorite shows is uh, like Extreme Makeover Fitness or Edition, Weight Loss Edition, right? I love that. In the beginning of it, the, the guy, Chris Powell says, I choose you. You, out of all the people. God chose you, right? Think about the security that comes with that. He predestined you to come to him. He talks about how they were made holy and blameless. God is changing us and making us holy. We no longer carry the guilt with us that we had before. They were adopted as sons and daughters. He's our dad. He makes us part of the family. We can call him father. We can call him daddy. They've been redeemed and forgiven of every one of their sins. He's removed their sins as far as the east is from the west. Think about that. No longer do you carry the guilt. No longer do you have to carry the baggage, right? The shame. He's removed it from us. Uh, They've been given wisdom and understanding and a knowledge of the mystery of his will. Think about that. They've been given the Holy Spirit as a seal and deposit, guaranteeing their inheritance one day. God gives us his spirit. It's a seal saying, I'm in you, and you are going to get what I promise, right? You're going to have an inheritance, an eternal life with me one day. So Paul kind of lays this out at the beginning of the chapter, and then he kind of digs into it. Look at verse 15. This is where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. Look at verse 15. He says, So for this reason, these spiritual blessings that God has given us, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Like Paul genuinely loves them. He genuinely cares about them. He knows them by name. He prays for them, right? 
Verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may, what? Know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may, what? Know the hope to which he's called you. Three things. The hope to which he's called you. The riches of his, inglo- his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. Three promises. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you made a new friend? I think about that. Hopefully you've made some new friends here, right? Like, this is part of church. We don't just come to church stoic and put on our church face and pretend like life's perfect. Like, we're real and honest. We're raw. We are who we are. So hopefully you've had a chance to make new friends here. But think about the last time that you made a new friend in your life. We were, we were talking about this. You know, our kids just started school back up. My daughter's in kindergarten for the first time. They're in new classes, right? So they're making new friends. And we were joking. Marsh and I were joking about, like, how different boys and girls are when they make new friends. So my son there's this new boy that moved into the neighborhood and I was out in my garage working out and my son and his pack of friends walk into the garage and there's some kid I'd never seen before and so I like to mess with the kids a little bit so they walk up I'm like hey who are you and he's like Joe I can't remember his name is it Joe it's not Joe I don't know what his name is (laughs) Joe whatever I said what are you doing here He's like, well, I, I just moved into the neighborhood. And it's like, they're just buddies, instantly buddies. You know, like, knock on the door. Hi, my name's Luke. You want to play? Yep, friends for life, right? <laughs> so out it, riding bikes, jumping ramps, jumping on the trampoline, Xbox, all that sort of stuff. It's amazing. Girls are different. <laughs> like, I don't know if it's just my girls or the girls in our neighborhood, what it is. The girls are just different. So, like, my daughter, there's, there's a bunch of girls in our neighborhood that just, like, don't get along most of the time. Like, you never know if when they get together and play, if they're going to want to play first and if they do play if it's going to end up like being a blast like they had the time of their life or if they end up fighting and crying it's a crapshoot you never know quite what you're going to get right I don't know if it's my kids or if it's boys and girls in general it's a little annoying if we're honest right anyway how about with you like think about it in your life when is the last time that you made a new friend it's not as easy when we're adults is it it's a little bit different When you meet somebody new, do you instantly know everything about that person? Of course not, right? I mean, that that doesn't make sense. You get to know them, but at first, you just kind of scratch the surface. Really, at first, it's more acquaintances than it is anything else. It takes some time to really get to know somebody, right? It takes some time to develop a relationship with them. And then when you really connect with them, like if, if you have lots of time together, if you connect with them, you have lots of time together, you could get to know them over years to an incredible depth, right? And you can be known by them to an incredible depth. See, this This is the kind of thing that Paul is praying for the Ephesians. Look back at verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Actually, as I I study this passage, I actually don't like the NIV's translation here in this verse. Other translations, I think, say it more clearly when they talk about this this spiritual wisdom and revelation. It says a spirit of, which sounds like God's got to give us some other spirit, which is not what he's talking about here. But think about spiritual wisdom and revelation. I think Paul's point is this. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have already met God, right? They've They've already met 
made friends with God. And just like we don't know everything about a human friend when we meet them, right? It takes time to get to know them. We also don't know everything about God when we choose to meet him, when we choose to make friends with him. We got to get to know him. And that takes time, and that takes intentionality. And that's what Paul's praying for the Ephesians. If we think human beings can be complex, intricate creatures, think about God. Think about the complexity of the God of the universe. Like, what an incredible privilege and responsibility to get to know him deeper and deeper and deeper. We're going to talk more about this and what kind of what it looks like practically for us here at the end. But part of getting to know him is getting to know things that he does and things that he is. And so Paul kind of gets a little bit more specific. Look at, uh, look at verse 18 again. What, what does he want them to get to know better about God? This is what it says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us to believe. Three things. Here's a question. What does it mean? What does he mean the eyes of your heart enlightened? Well, Paul's a good writer. I'm a simple person. I think he kind of uses fancy ways of saying learn. I think that's what he's saying here. I think he's saying, I pray that you learn in order that you may know. Right? I pray that you learn in order that you may know. What does he want us to learn and know? Well, the first thing he talks about, three things. First thing he says is that you may know the hope to which you are called. That you may know the hope to which he's called you. Think about that. When I think about that, that I may know the hope to which he's called me, I think about two things. I think about my past, and I think about the future. I think about past, and I think about future. God knows me. God loves me. God knows you. God loves you. And he has a calling in my life, right? You know what calling is? Like many times when we think about calling, we think about like things that God is calling us to do, like a vocational calling. You know, God is calling me to be a pastor. God is calling me to be a teacher. God is calling me to be a lawyer. God is calling me to be a dad. God is calling me to be a mom. Things that we do in this life. And I think he does that. I think he does that. But first and foremost, he calls us to be. He calls us to do. But first and foremost, he calls us to be, to be his, to be his children. He calls us out of darkness. He calls us into his marvelous light. He calls me to love and follow Jesus. He calls me to faith. He offers me grace, right? He reaches down to me and he says, trust me, right? That's what he does. He calls out to us to be. He calls me from something in my past from something in my past and he calls me to something in my future. I said it this way. Knowing it involves remembering where I've come from and where I'm going. Knowing it. When we talk about knowing the gospel and the God of the gospel, it involves remembering where I've come from and remembering where I'm going. Let yourself remember. Just take a second. Let yourself remember. Let yourself re-know what God has called you from. Maybe God's calling you from something right now. Maybe God's calling out to you now. And you've got to make a decision if you're going to respond, right? But I remember in my own life, like what it was like before I was a follower of Jesus and what he called me from. And it wasn't pretty. <laughs> it's probably good that you guys didn't know me back then. It wasn't pretty. 
But I'm so glad that I remember it. Because I remember what he rescued me from and I remember what he rescued me to. I remember what it felt like to have this hope that no longer am I bound by my own sinfulness. Now I have a hope and I have a promise. And that's kind of the future part of this. To re-know what I'm putting my hope in. You know, biblical hope, we had this conversation in our grace group too. Worldly hope and biblical hope are like two different things. Like a lot of times when we talk about hope in the world, we say things like, you know, I hope I win the lottery. I doubt I will, but I hope I do. That would be really, really nice, right? Well, okay, that's, that's cool. I guess that's hope in some way or another. But biblical hope, the hope that the Bible calls us to is different. Biblical hope is a confident, listen, it's a confident assurance of what's not yet experienced or realized, but is sure to come. This is the kind of hope that we're called to. It's a confident assurance of something that we've not yet experienced. We've not yet realized it. But we are confident, confident that it's coming, right? So what do we as followers of Jesus hope in? Well, we hope that he's going to save us. When we reach up and say we trust him, we hope that he's going to save us. And one day we hope that he's going to usher us into eternal life with him, right? Those are the things that we hope for. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. That you re-know where you've been, where you've come from, and where you're going. Don't forget it. He says, we can't forget it. And then he goes on. He says, I pray that you know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I read that again because I missed this at first reading, okay? I, I totally missed what he was talking about here. I pray that you know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What's he saying there? That, that Paul wants us to know the riches of our glorious inheritance as God's chosen people. Is that what he's saying? It's actually not what he's saying. He's not talking about us. That's what I thought he was saying at first. He's not talking about us and and our inheritance that we're going to receive one day. He's not talking about our inheritance. He's talking about we are God's inheritance. You and I are God. We are his inheritance. We are his precious inheritance that he will receive in full one day. Think about that. You're, you are God's inheritance. Well, one of the things I read, I loved it. He said, they, the church, they are, so to speak, what he looks forward to enjoying forever. Guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are what God looks forward to enjoying forever and ever and ever. See, knowing it involves realizing I'm God's precious inheritance. I'm his inheritance. Consider how incredible that is. We, of course, we have this inheritance that's talked about all over in the Bible of things that we will receive when this life ends. How does it feel to know that you are God's glorious inheritance, his treasured possession that he absolutely cannot wait to experience one day, cannot wait to receive one day? We are what he looks forward to receiving forever. Like, think about that. Think about how special you are to him. Like, that is incredible to be that loved by God. I know how imperfect I am. I know how many mistakes that I've made in my life. And yet, I am so completely loved. He's my daddy. And my daddy wants to spend time with me. Kind of makes you want to get to know him a little bit better, doesn't it? 
Paul says to the Ephesians, and he says to us, I want you to know the riches of being God's glorious inheritance. Don't forget it, guys. Remember. And then he finishes, and he talks about this power that saved us and courses through us. I love this. He says, I pray that you know his incomparably great power for us who believe. Guys, listen to this. Do you recognize and do you exercise the power that's available to you? Think about this. In your life, do you exercise and recognize the power that's available to you? It's the power that, Paul says, it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the power that seated Jesus at the height of authority on his Father's right hand. It's the same power that's greater than any evil, any dominion, any demon, any magic, the occult. It's far greater than any of those things. It's the same power that put everything under Jesus' feet and will one day cause every knee to bow down to him. Knowing it reminds me of God's incredible power given to me. Given to me and given to you. This is the, <laughs> excuse me, this is the power that's available to us all of the time. Paul says, you've got to know this. Ephesians, you've got to know this. Let me ask you, do you know it? Do you know the power that God gives to you? The power that raised Jesus from the dead. Do you care about this power? Like in your own life? Like, that's a fair question. Do, do, do you care? Do you, do you want it? You know, I, talk, I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of Christians. And you know what I find? I find that not many of them feel like they're recognizing, exercising, or living in the power of God in their lives. Not, not many of them do. It's the honest truth. In fact, they feel kind of the opposite. They feel weak, they feel defeated, and they feel powerless. Do you know how many Christians that I talk to that that's how they feel? Weak and powerless. Why? Like, it's a think about the power that's available to us if we want it. You know why I think that we're not experiencing this power very often and why we lose some of the hope and the excitement and God's calling toward us and we forget about how wonderful it is to be God's glorious inheritance? You know, you know what I think that is? Because we're content with just knowing God a little bit. We're content with just knowing the gospel, it, and the God of the gospel, just a little bit. I, I, I want God in my life, but just enough that's convenient for me. If I, if I dig in deeper, it might, it might make me have to call, cause me to have to change some of my life. I might have to stop doing some of the fun things that I was doing before. We're, we're like the kid who has the capacity to be an incredible musician, like a great musician, but he hasn't realized it yet, and he hasn't even picked up an instrument yet. You know, we have the ability, we're just not doing anything with it yet. That's what it's like when we're not experiencing knowing God, like getting to know God in a deep way. We don't recognize what and who is available to us and what we're capable of. Like, how much do you want to know him? Think about it. Please ask yourself that honest question in your life. Like, how much do you want to know God? How, how important is that to you? Like, how passionate are you to spend time with Him? How passionate are you to pick this up and read it and learn about Him? 
Maybe for the first time, maybe to be reminded of it. I want to read you some passages from this that just talk about, that, that just talk about how wonderful and beautiful it is, it is to know God and be with him. Just be in his presence. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, is this how I feel? Some of the time? Most of the time? None of the time? And if you don't, here's what I'd ask you. Allow God's spirit to convict you tonight. And allow God's spirit to draw you to, to him. But listen to these. This is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalm 62. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I'll lift up my hands. I'll be fully satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. And I think of you throughout the watches of the night. Because you're my help. I'll sing in the shadow of your wings. I'll cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. This is what Paul says in another letter. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. For the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is a loss. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection. And get this. And participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Like when you hear that, when you hear the passion that these writers write with about God and knowing him and spending time with him, how does that make you feel? You know, does it, does it make you go, yes, I feel that? Or does it make you go, I don't really know what they're talking about. I've not, I've not really felt that before. See, guys, all that Paul describes in Ephesians 1 and in all these verses, it's all about knowing it. It's all about knowing the gospel and knowing the God of the gospel. And knowing it, continuously getting to know the gospel and the God of the gospel is like fuel for our lives, right? Like if I want my body to perform a certain way, I got to fuel it the right way, right? Like if I want to be able to do strong, powerful, fast things with my body, I have to fuel it with the right foods, right? My problem is I like donuts. I like them a lot. Donuts are not good fuel for the body, right? They're not good fuel. Listen, we use some lousy fuels for our spiritual lives as well. We use some lousy things to fuel our lives and to cope with the hard stuff in our lives, right? Things like busyness. Man, some of us are so busy. 
I, I, I just got to get everything done. I got to do it myself. I'm going to work, 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 work. And we never have time to just stop and slow down and be with God and think about him and read about him. You know, we, we, we entertain ourselves many times with rotten stuff. Like it's just, there's nothing good that comes out of it. You know, murder, death, adultery, sex, all of this sort of stuff. And we call it violence. We call it entertainment, right? And it numbs us. It doesn't fuel us. You know, we, we deal with hard, stressful, anxious things in unhealthy ways. Like we cope with, with things like alcohol and drugs and pornography. That's not good fuel. That's donuts to us, right? If we want to live out our faith well, we have to fuel our lives wisely too. Continuously learning and relearning about the gospel and the God of the gospel. That's what fuels us. I, I said it this way. This is a terrible sentence. If you're an English teacher, I ask for your forgiveness ahead of time. But I couldn't think of a better way to say it. But this is, this is, this is what it means. After we get it, constantly pursuing knowing it fuels me living it and giving it away. After I get it, constantly pursuing knowing it, it's like fuel for me. It helps me live it and it helps me give it away. After getting it, knowing it allows me to live it and give it away. It's a terrible sentence. Forgive me, teachers. I couldn't think of a better way to say it. So how do I do it? Like how, how do I pursue knowing it in my life? Listen, I wish I could give you like, you know, a magic bullet that in 30 days you can have an incredible relationship with God. Just do this. There's no such thing. Like there's no magic bullet. But I want to share with you four things that are just very practical that I promise you if you discipline your life and you pursue these things, you will get to know the gospel and the God of the gospel in a much deeper way. Okay? None of these are like shocking revelations. But all of them are effective in helping us know it. The first one is regular Bible reading. It's not shocking, right? But boy, it's so easy to set this down when we come home from church on Saturday night. And then you don't pick it up again until Saturday evening to come back to church, right? There's no way to get to know God without... This is his clearest demonstration of who he is. This is the, God says, here is my word. This is what you need to know about me. It doesn't tell you everything, but here's what you need to know. Like, all we got to do is pick it up and read and understand who he is, right? For me in my life, you know, I, I, because I teach, I study the, the Bible and stuff, but I made a promise to myself early on in ministry that that was not going to be my only time with God when I was preparing for something. So for me, what works for me, I have a Bible reading plan that I follow. I've probably followed it, I don't even know, at least 10 years. And, and it just, it breaks it down into daily readings and I just discipline myself and I do it. And some days it's work. Just be honest with you. And other days, it's incredible and it's healing for me. But I need that discipline in my life. That's the first thing. You want to get to know God better, just pick up his word and read it. The second thing is prayer. And I said solitudinal prayer. You know why? Because our lives are super duper busy and we're multitaskers. And we can do five different things at once and never really focus on anything, right? There is no way that you could get to know God 
without talking to him and listening to him. Think about any other relationship in this world. How can you have a relationship with a friend or a spouse without ever really talking to them and never really listening to them? I promise you it'll be a terrible relationship. Don't do that with your spouse. Don't do that with your spouse, right? And we don't do it with God either. That's the second thing. Third thing is biblical community. We do life together. It's how God made us. Think about this. God in himself is in perfect community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And he made us in his image. And he made us to not be alone, but to be with other people. He left us his church. He calls it the body of Christ. Doing life together is really important for us. Doesn't mean we should never be alone. Being alone is fine. Just don't be alone too long. We get weird when we're alone too long, right? Like it just happens. God made us to be in relationship with other people. And there is so much that we learn about him and about what he loves and what he doesn't love when we open up our lives to others. That's why grace groups are such a big deal to us. And then the last thing is kingdom service. And, and here's what I mean by that. Like selflessly doing things for other people and for God and his kingdom. Like, I'm not doing it to gain something myself, you know. I'm not doing it for recognition. I'm not doing it for pay. I'm doing it because I want it, because this is who God is. He's a selfless God who sent his son for us. And so when I live my life and I serve people in selfless ways, I connect with God in a deep and profound way and I get to know him better. Coming up this fall, I want to tell you about this. I'm excited. You know, you, you may be sitting here tonight, and, and this may be kind of new to you, you know. And, and even as we talk about knowing it, living it, and giving it away, digging into the Bible, spending time with God, like what does that look like? One of the things we're going to do this fall is three classes. Know it, live it, and give it away. We do this at all of our campuses. And again, they're kind of foundational to who we are. And this fall, we're going to launch them. In our Know It class, we talk about, like, how do you study the Bible? How do you read it? How do you understand it, right? We talk about what it looks like to have a quiet time with God. In our Live It class, we talk about like the one in others. Like, what does it look like for me to live out the gospel in my life? In our Give It Away class, we talk about like, what does it look like for me to give the gospel to other people? How do I do that? I would encourage you, if you are newer to Grace Church, to come be a part of that. Or if you're newer to Christianity, or you're deciding if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus. These are great classes. We're, gonna, we're a month and a half away from launching them. I want to tell you ahead of time, though. They're coming. I think that they would be helpful for each of us. The last thing I want to do before we go is I want to lay down a challenge for you. We've been talking about knowing God, right? Like knowing who he is. Knowing his word, his gospel, and the God of the gospel. I challenge you this week, pursue him in a way you've never pursued him before. I don't know what that looks like for you. Only you do. Maybe, maybe for you, you haven't been pursuing him at all. And it looks like picking up a Bible, taking, maybe if you don't have one, taking one from the back and reading one chapter this week and saying, God, if you're real, just show me. Maybe, maybe that's all it is for you. Maybe for others of you, it's different. There's fasting. There's prayer. There's solitude. I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I challenge you this week. Pursue him in a way that you've never pursued him before and just see what he does. See how he responds. See how he changes you and see what you learn about him. That's the challenge. Father, uh, I'm just so grateful.